Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another exciting episode of the Spirit of Prophecy podcast. I am very fired up about today's episode. I have a very special guest, Pastor Chuck Baldwin from the Liberty Fellowship in Kalispell, Montana. In case you are not familiar with Pastor Chuck Baldwin, you can see his Wikipedia page here. There's quite a bit of information about him. It says it's an American right-wing politician and founder, former pastor of Crossroads Baptist Church in Pensacola, Florida. As of January 2011, he's the pastor of the Liberty Fellowship in Kalispell, Montana. Uh, pastor Baldwin uh, by, is also on the Southern Poverty Law Center's list, and, and they identify him as part of the anti-government movement. Now here, a negative review from the Southern Poverty Law Center is definitely not a mark against you. It is a mark for you. Uh, we have registered the Southern Poverty Law Center as a vile hate group. And so um, we don't really care what they say about people. But a better place to probably uh, find out about Pastor Baldwin would be from his church's website. And it has his bio page on there. Pastor Baldwin, um, he was the uh, vice presidential nominee of the Constitution Party in 2004 and a presidential nominee for the Constitution Party in 2008. He has also been on 19 full-length documentary films, and some of you may remember him from uh, some of Brother Paul Wittenberger's documentaries. I can't remember what all which ones he was on. I believe he was on some of the COVID lands, uh, maybe Babylon USA. I'm not sure about that, but Pastor Baldwin is definitely an interesting individual. One that I don't know well. I've not closely followed his ministry, uh, I but I have heard a lot. I've listened to some of his sermons, and I have agreed with many things that I have heard from him. I've liked a lot of the teaching I've heard from him. There's been some other things where I have some questions uh, based on some of his positions. I am not real familiar with what he believes on certain things, but many people who follow me... Um, also uh, follow Pastor Baldwin and like a lot of his teaching. And so I've heard a lot of things about him. Uh, I've heard a lot of things that are good. I've heard a lot of things that have caused questions, maybe some things I don't necessarily agree with. And what I'm going to do today is I'm going to show you all how it's done when it comes to um, handling something that you hear about somebody or when you don't fully understand someone's position rather than just going to their enemies, rather than just assuming the worst, you know what you should do? You should pick up a phone and give them a call. And that's what I decided to do because um, I do like a lot of what I hear from him. And so I respect his opinion in many areas. And so when it comes to things that I'm just not real sure about, I don't really understand where he's coming from, I am willing to hear what he has to say. So that's what I'm going to do today. Today I'm going to give him a call, and he has agreed to uh, talk on the phone with me uh, about his position and his beliefs on eschatology. So I'm going to ask him what he has to say. I'm not going to argue with him. I'm not going to debate him. I honestly want to know where he's coming from. And then maybe one of these uh, days after I've listened, after I've taken the time to think about what he has to say, uh, I might do something uh, explaining why I agree or disagree. But either way, 
I think it's very important that we just be fair and honest with these things. And so that's what I want to do today. I want to be respectful and uh, I want to find out where he's coming from. And I think this will be an interesting conversation. Chuck Baldwin. Hey, this is Pastor Tommy Murtry. How are you doing? I'm doing well, Brother Tommy. How are you doing? I'm doing very good. It's a real pleasure to speak to you. I appreciate you being willing to take a few questions from me for my podcast. Yep, I'm I'm glad to do it. Yeah, I appreciate you, you, you thinking about me. Okay. Well, yes. So I had emailed you a little bit of uh, kind of why I wanted to do this. So I won't go over all that again. I know your time's valuable. And so, uh, but I am, I'm very interested in just kind of your perspective on things. I've heard you uh, preach a lot of things that I really enjoyed, uh, learned a lot. And so, um, but uh, when it comes to certain things, I guess I've not heard enough to know for sure where you're coming from. And so I just wanted to hear from you. Uh, your thoughts, I'm very interested in different perspectives on all things and times. I don't claim to have all the answers, and so I enjoy talking with people about this. But if you could just start out uh, maybe telling us a little bit about your journey from dispensationalism, because that's my understanding you used to be a dispensationalist, but you no longer are. Yes. Okay. Thank you so, very much. Yes. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, so what was it that uh, caused you to go away from that? Well, it's a it's a long story. We could take the entire broadcast <laughs> to talk about that. It, well, maybe just I give was, us some bullet points. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll try to do that. Um, both of, uh, of the, the Bible colleges that I attended in my formal theological training were immersed in Schofield Futurism a.k.a. dispensationalism. So that's the only thing I knew as a Bible student. And I, I learned it after I graduated and started our first church in uh, the Panhandle of Florida. And I was there for 35 years. And so for over three decades, I taught when it came to prophecy and eschatology and related items, I would always hold to the dispensationalist line. I, you know, I just, that's all I knew. And in, briefly in, in Bible college, they would introduce some of the other interpretations, but they would always do it with a very biased perspective and say, well, you know, this is wrong. I'm skip over it and then go back to dispensationalism again. So I was schooled and trained, and for over three decades, I taught dispensationalism. So then in, and, and what happened in my life was truly, as I'm about to tell you, there's, there, I didn't go to a Bible conference, and I heard some brilliant theologian that convinced me that dispensationalism was wrong. That was not the case. I didn't hear anything on radio or television that convinced me I was wrong. I didn't read a book that convinced me dispensationalism was error. Nothing like that. Nothing at all. In 2007, each time I would begin to mention anything having to do with Israel, and Israel is the key to prophecy I or, or prophecy itself I would have this extreme discomfort down deep in my soul 
And I had no idea what that meant. And at first I ignored it. And that went on for many, many months. And then each time again that I would I would mention it like to my people in the church, I would have this stirring in my soul. So after some time of that, it, it finally dawned on me that this was the Holy Spirit that was speaking to my heart and I needed to, to start listening. And so from 2007 until 2014, and there's a lot of things that happened in between there, and one of those things was I left the church in, in Florida and we moved and started our church up here in Montana. <clears throat> that was in 2010. So it was an extremely busy time, and there was other things going on that were that took my time as well. But that uneasiness and discomfort never went away. In fact, it only intensified. So finally, around 2013, maybe late 2012, I began to do something about the uh, the stirring, and and what I did was. You know, I had this library filled with all these books and tapes and everything that I had been taught and things that I had purchased in my 30-year career as a pastor. And and I, 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 I literally set all of that aside. I mean, I just purposely determined not to look at any of it. So I didn't rush off and buy a bunch of you know, post-millennial books or amillennial books or, you know, other other viewpoints and starts, you know, I, I didn't do that. I, I didn't look to any other author or preacher to try and answer these questions for me. I went straight to the scripture and maybe somebody might think that's super spiritual, so be it. That's what I did with a very, very, very open heart and asking God to show me through the scriptures what this was all about. I had, I didn't even know what, what the stirring was about, so I couldn't even define what I needed. And the Holy Spirit, Brother Tommy, it, it's very interesting to me how God led my heart on this. He did not lead me to study prophecy. That wasn't even on the radar in the early years. I'm talking about 2013, 14, 15, 16, etc. Prophecy wasn't even on the radar. He led me very dramatically to study what the biblical truth of Israel was. And, and so I began an in-depth research of the scriptures about Israel, as it's found in both Testaments. And so I spent from 2014 to 2021, I believe it was, studying Israel. And I, I began to preach a series of messages which are available that, I, that many people have purchased over the years. And I simply call it the Israel Packages. And those were the sermons, 31 of them, that took place between 2014 and 2021. I finished my last one. I think 21. It might have been 20. And so I, I just immersed myself into the study of Israel. And, I, and then I, as I began to learn what the Scripture teaches about Israel, then it, then it dawned on me 
why the Holy Spirit had me begin and not even touch prophecy, did not even look at it, is because if one does not truly understand the biblical teaching of Israel, the study of prophecy is going to be completely superfluous and, and misinterpreted, and there's no foundation. Uh, without a firm understanding of the biblical truth of Israel, one cannot, and I say cannot, understand properly prophecy or any parts of eschatology. And so I, and once I had satisfied myself that I had accomplished that, that goal that God had set for me to learn fully the, the subject of Israel, then I began to turn my attention to eschatology and end-time things and, and so forth. And so I began that series, I believe it was in 2021, when I preached the first prophecy message. And I'm still not finished with it, and we are, I figure that there's going to be somewhere around 27 messages on um, prophecy itself. And I, I'm going to be preaching prophecy message number 17 coming up here in a few weeks. So that gives you an idea of where I'm at mm -hmm. and how long it's taking me to get there. So if I started in 21, you know, we're halfway through 23. So I have two and a half years, and, and I'm maybe about halfway through the study of prophecy. But again, this follows, what, uh, eight years of, of studying Israel before even beginning into prophecy. So all of that led me... Once, once I had seen the picture, the full picture of Israel, then I realized that everything that I had been taught about dispensationalism was absolutely false. Everything. Because everything about dispensationalism, which comes from John Darby, which comes from C.I. Schofield, is 100% Israel-based which means that the entire interpretation of prophecy is Israel-based. And I, Brother Tommy, I try to explain to people nowadays that whenever you're talking about prophecy, there's only two viewpoints of prophecy, only two. Everybody breaks it down to all these categories and labels, and that's really not the way to look at it. There's only two views of prophecy. One, it's Israel-based prophecy. Or two, it's Jesus-based prophecy. And dispensationalism is 100% Israel-based prophecy. If you took Israel out of the mixture of, of prophetic study, there is no prophetic study. You have no, no prophecy, you have no eschatology, you have no timeline, you have no charts, you have no, you have no understanding of prophecy. You can't even talk about prophecy if you take out Israel. It's 100% Israel-based. And when I realized that through my study of Israel, even before I began my study of prophecy, again, that, I think that's so important, is then I, then I realized, okay, everything I was taught about dispensational futurism is 100% wrong. It's not Israel-based at all. And so if it's not Israel-based, then what is it? And so that's what began my study into prophecy itself. Of course, I quickly learned that prophecy is all about Jesus. It has nothing to do with Israel, especially national Israel. Okay. So, Tommy, I had to get up and apologize publicly, which I did, and have several times. 
hmm. to my online audience and to my local church of the error that I had taught for over 30 years, and now I had determined to preach the truth. So that's about as short as I can make that, but hmm. that's the story of how I got to where I am. Okay, that's very interesting because most of what I've heard from you has been on Israel, and you know, and I'm typically right there with you. Um, I've heard a lot of your teaching about the Olivet Discourse and the things that were fulfilled in 70 AD. I would tend to agree with you on that too. And so I hear what you're saying about Israel-based prophecy. So would you also, though, believe? Do you believe that the Book of Revelation is Israel-based? Do you believe, or do you no. believe that's Jesus' prophecy? No, it's nothing about prophecy is Israel-based. Nothing. Oh, nothing about. And, and including the book of Revelation. The, and, and here's another thing that I learned that was a, a, a tremendous surprise to me, but such a joy and delight to my soul, is that it, Revelation is not primarily a book of prophecy. And and that's, that's the thing, again, that I've never been told. And 90, 99% of evangelical Christians today, if you ask them, well, what's the book of Revelation all about? They're going to say prophecy. And that's not true. The book of Revelation is primarily about the New Covenant. There are four books in the New Testament that explain the New Covenant. When Jesus died on the cross, rose from the dead, you know, the Old Covenant was abolished, and Jesus created the New Covenant, the everlasting covenant between Christ and his church. And there's four books in the New Testament that go into great detail explaining the New Covenant, of which... By the way, Brother Tommy, I would say the vast majority of evangelical pastors don't even understand the New Covenant, much less their congregations. I know when, in, in the colleges I attended, I was never taught the New Covenant. In fact, I was trying to think early on when I was getting into this, did I ever once in a classroom environment, in a sermon environment, in a, in a Bible study environment, Sunday school environment, did I ever once hear the phrase New Covenant? And I can't remember that I ever did. And most Christians are completely ignorant of Christ's new covenant. They don't even understand it. But when you read the books of Galatians, and you read the book of Romans, and you read the book of Hebrews, and you read the book of Revelation, you are reading the four books of the New Testament. That's, that's a lot four out of the 27 talk about the new covenant specifically deal with the explanation of the new covenant and not only the explanation but the glory of it the majesty of it and how far superior it is to the old covenant and which is which is what all those books go into and the book of revelation is the final exclamation point since it's the final book of the bible it's it's the final exclamation point to we the church as to the glory and the majesty and the awe of the new covenant so really when you look at the book of revelation and you think oh this is just about prophecy you miss the entire purpose of the book of revelation right from the get-go if you don't understand the book of revelation is teaching us about the glory of the new covenant and it's giving the final uh, elements of the new covenant that had not been covered in romans they were not covered in galatians they were not covered in hebrews they were they were alluded to 
in each of those books. But they were not really explained until we get to the book of Revelation. So Revelation is, fills in the gaps that were left in those three previous books. And so when you read the book of Revelation, you're reading about Christ's new covenant. And these, these are the fulfillments of the new covenant. So when we look at Revelation, we have to realize that the prophecy, the prophecy part of Revelation is simply the explanation, the final explanation of New Testament writing relative to the new covenant. Properly understood when you finish the book of Revelation, after having read the previous books I just mentioned, your mind is filled with complete satisfaction, your heart is filled with complete wonderment and awe of this glorious new covenant that Christ gave to us through his death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead. So I believe that when you start with, with, with the study of the book of Revelation, that's where you have to begin. Okay. So if uh, you're your average futurist, you know, that has Larkin's chart in front of them that's got the seals, vials, trumpets, all of those things that most associate with the future. Uh, do you believe those things are, are, have been fulfilled? And are there any specific prophecies that your average futurist believes is still to come that you're still looking for? Sure. Yeah, no, I believe that the vast majority of the book of Revelation has already taken place. And again, it it is talking about book of Revelation along with the other books. It's talking about the, the abolishment of, of the Old Covenant, the death of the Old Covenant, and the divorce of God from national Israel, which we read about even in the Old Testament. And then we are introduced to the marriage of Christ and his church and the, the new bride, which is, of course, the body of Christ. And all of that consummates in the book of Revelation. So the book of Revelation is the final separation, if you want to please. It's kind of maybe say the, the final divorce papers of, of the husband, Jehovah God, which is Jesus Christ, and, and Israel, and the marriage of the new bride, uh, and all of that is explained in the book of Revelation. So the, all of this divorcement took place, you know, beginning in, in, the, in the prophets of old, which predicted uh, the, the divorcement, which basically consummated, physically consummated in 70 AD with the destruction of Jerusalem. Spiritually, it'll be consummated with the marriage of Christ and the church in the New Jerusalem. But that, that's all history, and it's, and it's based upon the, you know, the, the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 A.D., which was, which was more than just the, the destruction of a city. It was, it was the sign to the new blood-bought church, the early church, the, uh, the persecuted church, uh, that this, this persecution, this was, this was of the old covenant. This was the attempt of Satan to destroy the new covenant church in its infancy. And God has had his vengeance upon the enemies of Christ, the spiritual Egypt, which was now Jerusalem. And that that was finished. Uh, the final sign that the old covenant was, was done and the, the, you know, the old ceremonies and the old sacrifices and, 
in the old feast days and the ceremonies and all that. Uh, these Jewish believers, which were still hanging on, many of them, the, to the you know to the mosaic system of worship, and you find that throughout the Book of Acts. That was finally ended, and all of the first century believers understood that message very, very clearly at that time, as did the church for 1,800 years until John Darby came along. And so that was a sign to the early church that this was all past. The new covenant had come. The old covenant was gone. And so it, it caused them to you know, turn from, from their works of the law and the, and the ceremony of Moses and all those things, of which Moses said they had to do that back whenever he wrote Deuteronomy. But that, that was the, the great sign to them. And, of course, it was the, the great consummation of Matthew 24, as Jesus predicted the destruction of Jerusalem in great detail, of which every single line of his predictions came to pass with the destruction of Jerusalem. So all of, I believe all of that is, is already passed. As to what is, is in the future, what are we still looking forward to? I'm, I'm still looking forward to the second coming of Jesus Christ. I'm still looking forward to his, his uh, total triumph over his enemies, the final judgment of God over the enemies of Christ. And I'm looking forward to the, the marriage of the, the official marriage ceremony of Christ and the church in the New Jerusalem. So these are all things that I believe the church is looking forward to. But as far as all of the signs that have been associated with the destruction of Jerusalem and the end of the New Covenant and the beginning of the uh, end of the Old Covenant, excuse me, in the beginning of the New Covenant, all that is, is it, <laughs> a, a spiritual malarkey. It, it's it's uh, the sign, you know, Jesus even said, a wicked and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign. And there's no sign going to be given to it except the sign of, you know, Jonah, which is predicting the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So, I mean, here you've got these evangelical Christians that say they're New Testament Christians. They don't under understand what that is. New Testament is a synonym for New Covenant. And they don't even understand what it means to be a New Covenant Christian. And the Judaization of the church continues. I mean, in fact, it intensifies. I've, I've, I'm aghast at how many evangelical churches that claim to be New Testament, a.k.a. New Covenant, and which means we believed in a finished work of Christ on the cross. He fulfilled all of the, all of the uh, signs and types of the Old Covenant, all the prophecies of, of the Old Testament prophets, all of that culminated and was fulfilled in Christ, and we we serve a Christ who has uh, completely fulfilled and finished and provided this glorious new covenant for us, and yet they continue to, to bring out the rotting corpse, I call it, of the Old Testament law, and incorporate that into their new covenant worship services in the church. I mean, what a, what a contradiction. You're, you're, at the same time, you're you're worshiping life, you're, you're honoring death. It's, it's, it's the most bizarre uh, thing, it, it, but this shows you how mixed up and convoluted this whole dispensational futuristic Schofield doctrine of prophecy has affected the church. The church has no idea what they're worshiping. They have no idea what they're teaching. They're teaching half, half of grace, half of new covenant, and then the rest is works and law 
and they're mingling all together, and they're coming up with a hodgepodge of Old Covenant and New Covenant. They don't know where the one ends and where the other begins, and it, it's, it is is <laughs> looking back on it, I can't believe that for over three decades I couldn't see the truth on this, but but it took me that long to understand it, so I guess I have to be patient with other people. Yeah, I understand. Well, like I said, the stuff you're bringing up, I mean, it's uh, it's a big deal, and it's a lot for people to take in if you're from the futurist world. And I'm glad you to hear you know you believe in a second coming of Christ, which I think is real important. I really don't care if people don't have the same timeline that I do. So I'm assuming you do believe in a a literal and physical resurrection of the dead. And yeah. and I guess do you believe the what people call the rapture from First Thessalonians four? Do you believe that's something uh, that's to come, or would you have a different view on that? Well, the word rapture, as it's commonly used, is is reference to the tribulation, and this is where I'm going to uh, differ. Uh, I, I went on your website and saw your uh, articles of faith and. Um, you know, I agree with, gee, 95, 96, 97% of, of everything you've got on your website, you know, so we're, we're brother to brother, and I, I saw on your website that you're not dispensationalist yourself, which was a, a relief to me, because 80% of evangelicals in America today do identify with Schofield futurism, so obviously... I'm talking to a brother who understands that part. You and you look like you're fairly young, so that means you've come to understand all this through your theological training or through your personal study, but you've already come yourself to an understanding of of the error of dispensationalism. And so I congratulate you on that at your age. That's tremendous. I wish I could have learned it. I was in my 50s before I was able to, to figure this all out. So. You know we agree on all these things, but but I notice that your your view on the on the tribulation in the seven year, and of course, you know, and I I was looking at your side, and you said that uh, you did not believe in the gap theory in Genesis chapter one and two, uh, or the day age theory in Genesis, which I'm I'm perfectly in agreement with you on both of those positions. I believe that anybody who puts a gap in between Genesis one one and Genesis one two is just trying to accommodate ev- evolution and basically that's where that all came from and if you read genesis 1 and 2 just start your bible reading and in the beginning god created and you just start reading verses 1 and 2 and then you know you're going to go oh there's a gap between genesis 1 1 and genesis 1 2 <laughs> are you gonna you did you wouldn't read a gap in there unless some you know, learned preacher told you there was a gap there. You would, the Holy Spirit would have never told you there was a gap there because there isn't one, as as you know. So I feel the same way about Daniel. Yeah, and did, where where people get the seven year tribulation from? And you know, I say, I'd ask you, say, where where do you find a seven year tribulation? You know, the Bible talks a lot about tribulation, and the Bible says that the entire church is going to go through tribulation that we are, with tribulation, going to enter into the kingdom of God. Tribulation, you know, began as soon as the day of Pentecost took place. And, of course, before that, when Jesus walked on this earth, before that, whenever the prophets were prophesying against the leaders of Israel, 
tribulation has been part and parcel with the Christian experience or the Hebrew experience earlier from day number one, some time that Cain killed Abel. And the tribulation of the, of the saints, as recorded in the book of Acts, is very obvious to see. The tribulation of the saints throughout the ages, the tribulation of the saints that are going on around the world today, we're fortunate to be in America that has a has reaped the coupons of the men that paid the price of, of great tribulation to bequeath to us a free country. But that's soon changing too, and we're seeing tribulation begin to take place in America today. So the point is, the Bible talks a whole lot about tribulation as it relates to those who stand for Christ. But my, the question is, and this is the question I had to answer for myself, well, where did, where did you come up with that seven-year tribulation from? Where Show me hmm. in the Bible where there is a seven-year tribulation. And then it, I, I traced it back, and the only place that I could that I knew of where that the actual seven years was located was in Daniel's Daniel's prophecy, his seventy week prophecy. And what what people do is they they get to the sixty ninth week, four hundred and ninety years, and then they oh, there's a gap. Mm-hmm. And how long is the gap? The gap's one week, so that's seven years. And so the gap, the final seventieth week is still future. It hasn't taken place yet. And, and so the same thing, the same way they put a gap in between Genesis 1-1 and Genesis 1-2, which isn't there, then they put a gap between the 69th and the 70th week of Daniel. Where do you, where do you get that? Where do you get that gap? Where, who, you know, if you were just reading Daniel's prophecy, would the Holy Spirit share, share with you, hey, there's a gap here after the 69th week. Now, how long is the gap? Well, it's thousands of years old. It hasn't even been fulfilled yet. So they put this this gap after the 69th week to make that seven, and that's how they come up with the seven-year tribulation. But I believe that there is no gap in Daniel chapter 7, no more than there's a gap in Genesis chapter 1, that the 70-year, the, the 70 weeks or the 490 years run concurrently, and, and that there's no gap. So if, there's, if there is no gap, if my... If, if, if my uh, interpretation is correct, if there is no gap between 6 and 9 and, and the 7th week, then there is no seven-year tribulation, because that's where, that's where it comes from. That's the only place in the Bible you can find a seven-year period that you could put into a, a, a tribulation period. So it, the rapture always has to do with that seven-year tribulation, the rapture as it's commonly understood. The rapture comes from the Latin word repair, it means simply to catch away, and I believe in the catching away of the church at the second coming. So when you say, do I believe in a rapture, technically, yes, but I, I, I shy away from being that simple in my answer, because as soon as you say rapture, almost everybody associates rapture with tribulation, and I don't believe that there's a seven-year tribulation, because I don't believe there's a gap in between the 69th and the 70th week. So the rapture, you know, whether it's whether it's pre-rapture, whether it's pre-tribulation, uh, or whether it's mid-tribulation, or whether it's post-tribulation, you know, to me is irrelevant because there is no seven-year tribulation to be raptured from. The the rapture has been, I think, has been by by Darby and Schofield and and the entire futurist community. They've taken the word rapture, which is a legitimate word, if it's not a Bible word, but it's a legitimate word. That means to to catch away, 
and they've applied it to a timeline based upon the misinterpretation of Daniel's 70-week prophecy. Hmm. So do I believe in a rapture? Yes, I believe in the catching away of the church at, at, the, at the second coming of Christ, but I do not believe in a rapture related to a seven-year tribulation. I hope that's not... No, that's that's fine. In fact, um, I in a, a couple of years ago, I came to the same conclusion and changed my mind about Daniel's 70th week. I don't believe there's a gap. I think that's something that has come and gone. Um, I don't think you can prove a seven-year future tribulation. And I am I'm open to other you know theories on that. But um, I guess my official position right now is I believe Daniel's 70th week has already come and gone. But I do believe that was God's judgment on Israel. And I believe someday there's going to be a coming judgment on the world and that's what we're seeing in the book of Revelation. So I, I, I believe the events of Revelation are still to come, and there's similarities, but I don't think we should call it Daniel's 70th week. I've tried to quit. I've quit calling it that. I think that was something that was centered around Jerusalem, and so I would probably agree with you more on that than what is still on my website from a while back. But okay. I. I but yeah, but I I know we're about out of time, but if I could just a couple maybe quick questions just to kind of throw at you. So if people are wanting to know uh, Pastor Baldwin's position, is there like a group that you would put yourself in as far as like, uh, you know, futurist, historicist, preterist? Um, do you have a term that you think represents your beliefs? You know, I, I don't like the label mm-hmm. uh, myself. I, I don't like labels, period because labels identify you with other people and there are so many variances mm-hmm. to any of those positions that I don't want to be I don't want to be identified with Dr. so and so or Pastor so and so because he professes to be that and Chuck Baldwin professes to be that and so they believe the same thing mm-hmm. and we might be poles apart on on so many things and so i I really hesitate to put myself in a a label uh i I will say that like most everybody who's honest in their interpretations of prophecy every almost everybody is in one way or another a partial preterist and even even dispensationalists uh are partial preterists and and they would you know they, they would not not really admit to that but even they are in the sense that they believe that Revelation two and three is mostly past. Uh, they would they would argue that maybe the latency in church is what we're seeing now, and so it's being it's future. You know, mm-hmm. goes up to the end time. But it, that's it for that. Uh, the other churches and, and their supposed meanings are are past. Mm-hmm. So even even dispensationalists who are the futurists of the futurists. They are partial preterists in reality. And so it really doesn't matter. There's virtually not a, a premillennialist uh, who's not partial preterist. Uh, I have many friends that are historic premillennialists who I have a lot of respect for. And many of the uh, reformers, not all, were, you know, were historic premillennialists. And yet they also interpreted much of the Book of Revelation as being past, and it would be a matter of where does the past end and where does the future begin. 
so that in, in theory, uh, then the, they are partial preterists as well. So whether you're whether you're premillennial historicist or whether you're even a dispensationalist or whether you're whether you're a, a postmillennialist or amillennialist, in any of those so-called camps, virtually everybody is is a partial preterist. And and for people to not acknowledge, I don't know why that's such a, a bad term to some people because it's it's virtually universal throughout mm-hmm. the interpretation of the Book of Revelation. You, it, it, partial pre- preterism is is the predominant feeling and, and viewpoint of just about everybody. The the argument is not is is is, is partial preterism a reality. The the argument is is where does where does the past end and where does the future begin? Mm-hmm. So that, that's really where the argument comes in. And, and to try to put myself in a category, in a label, I just, I, I'm just hesitant to do that, Tommy. Yeah, no, that's fair enough. Well, I think the term preterism has been successfully demonized because of those who go as far as denying a return of Christ and a resurrection of the dead. And to me, that's kind of where I draw the line. I don't really care where you you know, your beliefs land on this stuff as long as you believe in those two things. And so you've already said you believe in a return of Christ and you believe in a, do you believe in a literal resurrection of the dead? Of course. Okay. So then, yeah, then I can still call you my brother then. That's what matters. And do you believe in, yeah, do you believe in a, a coming millennial kingdom that's still to come? Well, see, that's, that's where, that's where the differences come in the, in the understanding of the book of Revelation is, is, is all about the millennium. Mm. We don't have time. Uh, yeah, I understand. Time now. Okay. To talk about to talk about that, maybe we can do that another time if you're interested. But that that that's really the the crux of the differences of interpretation mm. is how you how you ascertain the millennium. And let me just let me just close my my part of it here today by just saying that to me, again, the entire study of prophecy depends upon the, the correct interpretation of Israel. Okay, so I want to reemphasize that, because everybody talks about prophecy, but they never talk about Israel. And if you don't talk about Israel in relation to prophecy, as far as I'm concerned, your prophecy interpretations are are not scholarly, because you're not basing your interpretations of prophecy on anything concrete, except you know Larkin's charts, and so it's it's got you got to have some foundation for prophecy. Prophecy doesn't float out in the air. There, you know, you can just pick and choose, grab what you want, and leave what you want, and come up with whatever bizarre thing you want to come up with. That's not, it, it, you know, it's based upon foundational truth. The foundational truth is the new covenant, as explained in. Galatians, Romans, Hebrews, and then, of course, Revelation. And, and the truth of the, of the New Covenant is the explanation of the death of, and the abolishment of the Old Covenant and the rise and the life of the New Covenant. So when you start talking about the millennium, you know, the, the question I would just leave with, with your listeners is, why is a earthly, and when we talk about millennium, most people refer to an earthly thousand-year kingdom of Christ. That's that's the typical explanation. There's other explanations, but that's that's the predominant one. So, what is the purpose 
of the thousand-year earthly millennium? Answer that question, and that'll go a long way in helping to satisfy in your mind where where the millennium fits and where it doesn't fit. And you know, to to kind of you know give be the spoiler, you know, just about everybody who who believes in a in a earthly kingdom. But remember, Jesus said, "My kingdom is not of this world." But those who believe that there is an earthly kingdom, there's a kingdom of this world for a thousand years, that's why we get the word millennium. Why? What's its purpose? Well, you go back to Israel, the, the purpose of the millennium is to accommodate Israel, is to accommodate Old Testament Israel, national Israel. Israel is going to be revived. Israel is going to be the place uh, of the Jerusalem is, you know, Temple is going to be rebuilt. Of course, they say that happens before the millennium. But the 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 restoration of national Israel. You know, when shall the kingdom come? They asked Jesus. You know, when will the kingdom come? Uh, after he rose from the dead in Acts chapter one, Jesus says, "Not for you to know." Okay, you were asking questions that you don't even know the have any idea what you're asking it's not for you to know anything about this so it goes back to all of the explanations as it doesn't matter whether you're pre-mill whether you're mid whether you're mid uh, trib or whether you're post mill you know it doesn't matter where you are if you believe in that the millennium is an earthly kingdom again jesus said my kingdom is not of this world but if you believe it is why is it what's the purpose of it and it goes back to the reestablishment of old, old covenant Israel. You take out Israel. If you take out Israel, if you take out old covenant national Israel away from the millennium, there is no reason for the millennium. The millennium has no purpose. And so... I would just I would just use that as as a teaser to people to say when you when you're thinking about the millennium it's it's really not about the church it's about Israel and every view of eschatology that I've ever studied about a a present kingdom I'm excuse me a future kingdom millennium it is all about Israel the reestablishment of national Israel and so that means Okay, wait a minute. What have I learned already about Israel? That's why I had to study the book of, I mean, the book of, I had the subject the subject of Israel first. I'm so glad the Lord led me to, to study the, the subject of Israel first. Because once I learned the truth about Israel firmly, finally, I mean, you know, without any question, this is what the Bible teaches about Israel, period then anything that comes along later that contradicts that truth cannot be true because the Bible does not contradict and cannot contradict itself. So I think that's that's the thing that people have got to come to grips with when they talk about the millennium. What, what are you bringing Israel into it for? What's Israel got to do with anything? And if you're bringing Israel into it and you're making Israel the entire purpose of the millennium, which is, which is what they do, this is the final time, this is when God restores Israel. 
wait, if you're doing that and you, you're talking about an old covenant Israel that has been abolished since Jesus died on the cross, what's the purpose of the millennium? So they cannot, they cannot even have a millennium without introducing or reintroducing an old covenant Israel into it. Okay. So you got to work through that. Mm-hmm. You, you really got to work through that. And that's what I had to do. Okay. So, Tommy, I'll leave you with that. Well, I really appreciate you doing this. I really enjoyed it and appreciate what you're doing. And uh, so thank you again. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm very much honored to do it. Thank you, Frank, for what you're doing. Your ministry sounds terrific. I'll be praying for you now that I know you. I appreciate that very much. So, all right. Well, I won't hold you any longer. I definitely enjoyed it. Fascinating conversation. So you take care and we'll talk to you later. Thank you, sir. Bye. Bye-bye. All right, ladies and gentlemen. And that is how you do it. You, you call a guy up and you hear what he has to say. Now, I know... A lot of you heard a lot of stuff that it's like, wait a minute, this is off. Now, I'm going to show you what else to do, because I have some thoughts based on some of the things that he said, but I'm not going to immediately respond to those things because um, I I didn't know what his answers were going to be on a lot of these things. Most of the time when I do interviews, I've got a pretty good idea of what the people are going to say. I wasn't real sure on this, so I'm going to actually take time to think about it. Uh, I'm, I'm probably going to need to go maybe listen to some sermons of his on this subject. Um, we only had limited time based on his answers. I've, I was thinking of about 20 other questions that I wanted to ask, too, to go along with that. And we obviously didn't have time for that. But uh, what I am plan- I'm going to do, I'm going to hold off and respond to anything. And then in the future, I may talk about some of the things that I agreed or disagreed with about that. Uh, but I think it's best to listen and think about it before you just immediately respond. And at the end of the day, he believes Jesus is coming back. He believes in a literal resurrection of the dead. So you don't even try calling him a heretic based on anything he said. Uh, I thought it was a very interesting perspective. And so uh, if you get a chance, I'll leave a link to his YouTube channel. You can go listen to some of his preaching. Uh, I know I'll probably try listening to some more of it. And I, I think he, he does have a lot of really good stuff in Israel. I've not heard much from what he has to say about future things. But anyway, uh, that was good stuff. And I really appreciate him being willing uh, to come and talk with me. And so let that be a lesson to all of you. When you wonder about somebody's beliefs, ask them. Let them talk. Let them say what they have to say. And then take time to think about it. Don't just respond. So... Anyway, uh, showing you how it's done in a biblical manner, and I hope you got a blessing out of it. So God bless you. We will see you all next time.